This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I'm your host, Sam LaCrosse. It is Sunday, December 7th. It is the day after Championship Sunday, or Championship Saturday, and College Football Playoff Sunday. The re results of the College Football Playoff are going to be announced in about 50 minutes. I'm very excited for that. I think it's pretty obviously obvious who's going to get in at this point. Wild day yesterday. Great day of games if you're a college football fan. Uh, the UFC card yesterday was really good. Um, you know, trying to, again, you know, over here I've been so fucking busy. I have my state of don't do this media coming out next week. I have that all prepped and ready to go. I think it's pretty good. So again, it will be kind of a wrap up of the entire year of this, of the content I've created, the blog, the podcast, the everything that's coming along with it as long or well as rather some exciting things that are coming up in the future, which I am very, very excited for. So, you know, it's, it's an exciting time. It's a busy time for sure. I, I, I just wrapped up um, my big project that I've been working on for probably over two years at this point. I wrapped it up on Monday and it's really, really exciting and I'm super, super excited about it. It's going to be formally set in motion on the 15th of this month. I will kind of get everything, all my ducks in a row ready to go and we will be off and running with that. So that is really exciting. And that will be the that that's gonna be how it uh, how it shakes out. So up until then, though, we got to kind of fill in the gaps here and get revisit some old stuff. And I haven't really read like I think I've said this with a lot of my posts. I haven't. I don't really read my old material a lot. Like maybe when I'm really really kind of like ugh, I want to like read this and see if this is true. I have not read this post probably since I've written it. So and this was in a very different context. This was written in June of 2020. So right after all, or right as I should say, all of the shit was going down with the unrest in society around racial division and everything like that. And I was going through a personal conflict at the time that was really, really kind of bugging me around this issue. So I wanted to see if I wanted to revisit it, see if I'm wrong, see if I'm right. Because in our society, <clears throat> in the last couple of days, excuse me, last couple of weeks, couple of months, we've seen an abuse of power in a lot of a lot of areas, and we've seen a lot of people with who are in quote-unquote privileged positions, abuse that privilege and use it to harm people. And I want to kind of see how it would contrast with today, how it contrasted then, and how those narratives interact. So I think it's going to be interesting. So we are going to see how this works. So let's go. So some men just want to watch the world burn. And if Alfred Pennyworth was in now, he would just kind of say, welcome to 2020. And at the time I wrote this, again, it was June of 2020 when this was published, it's no shock to everyone that America has been a shitstorm in the past couple weeks and in 2020 in general. So I like to refer to what happened last summer as a powder keg. 
Human beings are not meant to be in confined spaces against their will for a long time. We're meant to be free and social amongst our own race, of course, seeing that we're not doing anything that could land us in prison or something like that. So when you force a country of 340 million people to be crammed within their own homes, sometimes under the threat of fine and fire, tensions will begin to mount. Oh, and not to mention some of the things that have come out in Hollywood in the last couple of years. Joker is perhaps the most bleak yet surprisingly accurate social commentary of the past decade, as we've revisited in the post a couple or podcast, should say, a couple months ago. It downright exposes our country's horrific divisions in terms of topics such as classism and mental health. Once upon a time in Hollywood left people pining for yesteryear, with some frustrated citizens wondering how the hell we let those times of prior glory slip by, even though some would also consider those times to be anything but glorious. But, as it turns out, the biggest public unmasking of social issues, combined with the largest public health crisis in more than a century, just turned out to be a shit ton of gunpowder getting thrown on top of a 10-story building filled with kerosene and plastic explosives. Then George Floyd happened, and the building exploded. The shitstorm started soon after, with all the fire, looting, and misery included, free of charge. But, as we've discussed, Americans don't care for chaos, particularly. People, in general, don't care for chaos. And these people began to quickly search for solutions. But that was the problem. You see, solutions to issues like this, especially with the word ism attached as a suffix, can't be fixed quickly. It's impossible. If it weren't, it would have been fixed a long time ago. So people, usually over social media to appear to appeal to a sense of virtue that they don't possess, threw things out that they foolishly thought could make the situation worse. Defund the police, they tweeted. No justice, no peace, they wrote on Facebook. Simple solutions for complex problems, which is one hell of a cocktail when you look at it. As I watched the quite hilarious meltdown of human rationality, a part of me was concerned, obviously. But it didn't necessarily have to do with any of the sayings above, although defund the police said face value is concerning, maybe another post for another time, and I don't know if I want to touch that now because things it's died down pretty quickly. It had to do with the one that started immediately after the murder of George Floyd. It was an odd concept, but one that kept coming up over and over. Privilege. Now, I've heard this word before, of course, everyone has but not in the context of a situation as dire as this. Sure, it was something that young boys in my hometown used to say as an ignorant joke when subbing each other in front, in front of a water fountain. But no, these people meant it. The constant topic of privilege began to flood the headlines. Some people shared things on Instagram stories. Some shared monologues on Facebook. Quote-unquote, using my privilege became a trend on nearly every major social network. The big feeling that ran over me during the whole, quote, privilege movement was confusing. Was confusion. Are these people saying this just because of my skin color that I'm somehow contributing to the madness? Is this my fault? I didn't think it was, but I was far from sure. I was ignorant of the situation's place in the world. So I asked the one person who has never bullshitted me in my life from the time I was born. My dad. Now, I know what you're thinking. He's just going to tell you what you want to hear, Sam, what your parents do, and I understand that. I really do. But when my I say my dad doesn't bullshit me, I really mean it. My dad is a different breed of human being. I mean, this is a man who, in one of the most memorably hilarious incidents of my childhood, made my mom take Waiting for the World to Change by John Mayer off the radio. My mom looked at him funny. He responded, quote, What a stupid-ass fucking song, Waiting on the World to Change. If you want to change the world, get out and change it yourself. End quote. God, do I love the Midwest ethos. I miss it down here. But back to the task at hand. I asked my dad about privilege twice, each about two months apart. One was before George Floyd, one after. The first time, my question was, quote, Dad, does privilege exist? End quote. Then, to my chagrin, my dad told me the opposite of what I wanted to hear. Of course there's privilege, Sam, he said. Fuck. 
I thought I lost the battle. Or at least so I thought. So during my kind of soul searching I did after the incident of George Floyd and after all the shit that happened after that, as a lot of people did, I didn't get the whole, quote, white privilege vibe from the men and women of color who I conversed with. For the most part, they were asking for support and aid to a cause that, at its core, is decent and pure. Ending police brutality is a good thing for everyone, especially for those who feel afraid of people they should not have to be afraid of. But the mob was still talking about privilege, so this time I chose to rephrase, rephrase my question to my dad. So I asked, quote, am I slash are we privileged? A great dialogue ensued. The answer, according to my dad, was no. At first, I didn't believe him. I countered by saying that we grew up in a nice neighborhood and had a lot of money growing up. My dad surprised me. We apparently didn't have a lot of money growing up. It just felt that way. That's a typical Midwest thing as well. Give kids a decent home in a good neighborhood with ample space to roam, we feel like kings of the universe. Having a sister with a disability doesn't necessarily help the pocketbook either. My parents chose to live modestly and sacrifice. Other parents chose to drive Mercedes and live in McMansions while not being able to small emergency or cover a small emergency and shackling their children in tens of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. And I prefer to be a member of the former party. He also openly stated that he and my mom got incredibly lucky with picking between the house I grew up in and the other house as the alternative option. One turned out great, the other turned out to be a shithole. My mom also didn't work. She chose to sacrifice her career and stay home to help raise us. Well, I should rephrase that. She chose to work part-time, so she kind of did half and half. There's a reason why I tell people that she's the most selfless person I've ever met, and it's because of that reason. But I pushed back against him and countered again. I told him about the life that me and my brother had growing up. There were no Saturday morning cartoons in the Cross household. Every weekend we had to do yard work either with our family or to help our grandparents. When my football coaches told me that I shouldn't have to work this early in life, my dad told me to go fill out job applications until I found one. When I wrote a note to the Easter Bunny about not getting video games in my Easter basket like my friends, the Easter Bunny promptly told me to take my note and shove it up my ass. So when I asked my dad, what does this mean that other people, my family included, all of whom are white, are privileged and we aren't? My dad sh my or I should rephrase that. So I asked my dad, does this mean that other people, my family included, all of whom are white, are privileged and we aren't? My dad shot that down immediately too. And the reason was, and I quote, in the end, does it matter? No, because there will still be failure and you have to overcome it. I also did not use the excuse that other people were, quote, privileged because they had two incomes. I knew a guy when I worked downtown, a black guy from the inner city, taught me a lot about his situation. He made it out because he worked hard. Did not want to hear the excuse that other others could not do it. Look at Ben Carson. Read his book. I don't think he used, quote, privilege as an excuse, end quote. And the kibosh was put on. I was convinced. But I still wanted validation. This is a tough topic for people to navigate, myself included. I was lucky to find inspiration in a book that was recommended to me by a good friend. Tim Keller is a Presbyterian pastor in New York City and the author of The Reason for God. In it, Tim Keller claimed that Christianity, in a pure sense, not getting into the politics of different churches, represents all, respects all people who follow Christianity. Additionally, he made remarks that Christians, according to the Bible, should respect other people's rights to religion. My aforementioned friend highlighted a similar passage to me over dinner before giving me the book. According to Galatians 3, verse 28, quote, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and there is no, there is no male or female, for all you are one in Christ Jesus. End quote. Respected NBA insider Chris Hayes agreed, posting a picture of him holding up a sign at a rally with the phrase, Christ and racism don't mix. Amen, brother, fellow insider and the coolest man in sports television, Chris Broussard, commented. 
That's why there are mission trips, because according to arguably the most important text written in the history of the world, there is no race in Christianity but the human race. Ethnicities are different, sure. We are all humans. People. So, pivoting away from the religious aspect to encapsulate a wider variety of people who aren't. I was always taught to respect people. I knew from an early age, due to my sister's disability, not to treat people differently by something they couldn't control. Anything that was out of line was swiftly dealt with by my parents. But still something was missing. My dad still said that privilege existed, and I still believed him. So what was it that I was missing? Then I did what I always do. I looked it up in my girlfriend, the dictionary. And according to the dictionary, the definition of the word privilege is, quote, a right or immunity granted by as a peculiar benefit, advantage, or favor, especially such as a right or immunity attached specifically to a position or office. End quote. So it turns out that me, both me and my dad were right. But it still doesn't mean that the corrosive misinformation getting spread... Oh, God, I hate that word. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. This, I, hate, I hate the word... <laughs> I gotta say this. I hate the word misinformation because it's how it's used by all these people. So I'll just say the corrosive lie getting spread isn't a problem. Okay. <laughs> That's what the point of this podcast will be. There is privilege out in the world, but most of the world, especially the youth, is just convinced, confused about how to identify it. In order to settle this conversation, we need to look at why preconceived privilege doesn't hold water, what real privilege is, and what better questions we can ask in order to have a more constructive conversation. So all I ask is that you hold the Molotov cocktails until after you read and listen to this podcast. So before we get into why preconceived privilege isn't and shouldn't be a thing, I think we need to dig deeper into the context of the situation regarding the phrase, quote, using my privilege. The vast majority of the people that I saw post something with this sentiment were compassionate, white, and young, being less than 30. I knew a lot of them personally, and the overwhelming majority of them are good people. These people were very upset over the recent deaths, not just of George Floyd, but of other African Americans like Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. A lot of people were. These acts were heinous. They have no place in a country that has high standards for integrity and moral fiber, not just in the doctrines that govern it, but of the citizens that occupy it. Tragic accidents and other things like it, including intentional things, particularly in the case of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, are no place in this society. They have no place here. These incidents of these individuals stroked a deep emotional hurt reaction out of the individuals I'm referencing. They were angry, despairing, and sad. They wanted to help. Then they wanted to take the pain away. But these people also noticed another thing, the reactions of the black community to these deaths. A lot of them weren't just commenting on the deaths themselves, but on the state of race relations in the United States. Frequent messages flew from protests and social media that proclaimed disadvantages to black people and advantages to white people. That's where the whole, quote, using my privilege phrase started. This group of individuals, being compassionate, white, and young, took this as a call to what use what people had said are inherent advantages that come with their skin color to help out with a cause. But here's the problem. That way of looking at it is wrong. Before I get into more specific reasons, I think a good place to start would be to go back to the definition of the word itself. Not necessarily the first part, but the second part. You know, the one with the word, quote, especially attached to it for emphasis. Your skin color is not, quote, attached specifically to a position or office. Nothing that you can control is. In most cases, the exceptions being countries that are run as monarchies or dictatorships, etc. It is entirely based on your own effort. Which leads me to a larger topic, the notion of privilege being anything preconceived. 
Privilege is not something you're born with, contrary to the popular belief of the mob on social media and most figures in our ruling class. Privilege is not a skin color. It's not ability nor disability. It is not gender. It is not the color of your eyes or hair. You want to know why? Because the mob and our ruling class contradict themselves on that exact same principle. So let's go back to our friend The Opposite Game, where we take pandering and flip it on its head to see if it holds water. Other than Black Privilege by Charlemagne the God, one of my favorite books, if a white person went up to a black person and said, you have privilege because you're black, they would be called a racist, as they should be. If you said, quote, you have privilege because you're a woman, you would be labeled a sexist, as you should be. If you said, quote, you have privilege because you're cognitively disabled, you would be labeled an inconsiderate cock, as you should be. If you said, quote, you have privilege because you have blonde hair, you would be labeled a hairist, at least I think. But hold on a minute there, Sam, you say. The problem with this is that historically, if you're white, a man fully functional and have blonde hair, you have more advantages than most. Okay, reader, that may or not be may or may not be true. And both options are viable. It depends on your data and sources. But this isn't a history question. This is a call shit as you see it question. I'll use a sports analogy to describe it. Say referees in a basketball game are calling ticky tack fouls in your team and the disparity is piling up that you clearly think that they're biased against you. Fellow LeBron James fans know what I'm talking about, and I'm not really a big fan of LeBron much anymore, but I mean, he gets on this a lot. This is a big thing with him. There is a reason to believe that that claim would be true, and let's say for the sake of this example that it is. What would you have the punishment be? The way I see it, there are two options. The first one would have to be the refs hit back at the other team, make it unfair for them, so your team automatically has the edge that the opponent can't properly fight against. The second option would be to simply have the refs call a fair game and let the best team come out on top. Now, if you're immature and somewhat sadistic, you might pick the first option. But I like to think, at least in my good nature, that the majority of us would pick the latter. Not simply for the fact that we would get rid of the problem of the unfair officiating, but because we would get the chance to prove that we were better at something. No one likes it when a team or player wins a game in a bad call. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I hate when it happens to my own team. I want us to win by the strength of our own merit, not by an outside force who really has no impact on the quality of the men and women in the arena. So let's circle back to privilege. Has there been an unfair treatment of black people in America in our history? You bet there has there's been. I wouldn't call Jim Crow the Middle Passage segregation and slavery fair by any stretch of the imagination. But to reiterate, this is a call shit as you see it question, not a history question. To quote Gandhi, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. We cannot time travel. We will not be able to undo history, but what we can do is call a fair game, and that includes the privilege mob that wants to assert that people have some kind of superiority simply based on something that they cannot control, most recently and profoundly being their skin color. So let's call it what it is, and knock it off. Racist. This might not be enough for people to accept, but don't worry, I still have three solid reasons as to why preconceived privilege doesn't hold any weight besides this. The first reason is that the concept of preconceived privilege is, believe it or not, contradictory to the intended message. By proclaiming that a certain group has privilege over someone else based on something as tribal as your skin color, gender, etc., you automatically demean the other side. You paint yourself as the solution, but you call yourself the problem. You're the definition of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, this isn't an absolute, because only Sith deal in those, remember? I'm sure there are some people that are of a minority group that can, that can proclaim that they, quote, use their privilege to help others of that minority group. But from my experience, the vast majority in the, quote, oppressor category claiming to help out the, quote, oppressed category. 
In this specific situation, it would be white people, quote, using their privilege to help out black people. But what most people in the former group don't realize when they're doing this is that they're indir you're indirectly saying that black people are hopeless victims. The reason? Well, because they don't have privilege, of course. Only we, the holier-than-thou mob, can help out the, those non-holier-than-thou African-American population, they say. We have the privilege. We have the power. Only we can save you. Other than this being an incredibly narcissistic and selfish proposition, there's another immediate red flag that should pop up. You're also saying that these folks can't help themselves. You paint yourself as the savior for people who may or may not need saving. You use this false sense of self-righteousness in order to selfishly empower yourself at the expense of other communities. It really is a terrible way of helping out with the problem. As you know, I love volunteering, especially with kids with disabilities. But when I go to volunteer, I don't do as some patron saint figure who goes alleviating pain from that population of people with a snap of a finger. That would make me a narcissistic prick. So I don't act as the savior or superior to them. I don't say that I'm privileged because I'm fortunate that I'm not disabled, and that's unfortunate that they are disabled. I don't appeal to that foolishness. But I aid and help them. I treat them as normal human beings. I call a fair game. We may be different in terms of our ability and disability, but remember the Tim Keller section earlier. We're one race. The human race. Brothers and sisters. We shouldn't go out assuming superiority over anyone because of something people can't control. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The second reason is that whether we want to admit it or not, we all, regardless of any preconceived conditions, pursue privilege in one form or another. To prove this, let's go back to the definition. Quote, a right granted is a peculiar benefit, advantage, or favor. You might start to get defensive. Sam, that's bullshit. Why would I willingly pursue privilege? Isn't that a bad thing? Well, what I would say to that is that it's neutral. Privilege, like I discovered during my talks with my dad, isn't necessarily a good or bad thing. It's all in the usage, like most things. So let me ask you a series of questions. Why do people go to college to earn a degree? Why do people try so hard to aspire towards financial freedom and security? Why do people work really hard to achieve things in the workplace? Why do people throw themselves out there to try to find a romantic partner? The reason for all of them is because all four of those things, and many more, by the way, produce rights that are granted as peculiar benefits, advantages, or favors. Getting a college degree is hard. Obtaining financial freedom and security is hard. Achieving success in the workplace is hard. Finding a long-term romantic partner is hard. We want the things that I listed above. We all want them. We crave them. It's the model for happy living for a majority of the Americans. It's why we pay for expensive universities while taking out loans that can put us in debt to our 60s. It's why we have financial advisors and make LinkedIn accounts. It's innate human nature to want to aspire and grow. And the only way to do it is to go after it, to pursue it. We want the benefits of privilege, the peculiar rights that come with having financial security, a long-term romantic partner, and the other things listed above. They're rare commodities. 60% of Americans don't have the available funds to cover an unexpected $1,000 emergency. Half of all married couples in the United States get divorced. These statistics look more and more similar for the other things mentioned above as well. So, we all pursue some type of privilege. These peculiar types of rights are agender, asexual, and a fuck ton of other a-somethings. We all want them. Let's stop pretending like we don't and stop casting unwarranted shame on people for, quote, privilege that isn't really privilege at all. You may have noticed that I didn't include the word immunity along with the word right in the previous reason. That was intentional. 
The third reason that preconceived privilege doesn't hold weight is because no one is immune to anything. No one. The word immunity proves the concept of preconceived privilege wrong immediately. The reason is because everyone fails. Everyone. No one is immune to personal and professional failure. No perfect person, that is, depending on your faith and ideology, has ever walked this earth. Since there are no perfect people, we are all capable of failure. If we all are capable of personal and professional failure, there can be no preconceived privilege. It's literally impossible, according to the definition. You can be the healthiest person in the world, but still get hit with cancer. You can make a fortune on airline and cruise stocks, but a coronavirus strain from overseas can still wipe out your net worth in a matter of days. You can casually walk into a TJ Maxx and some dude hopped up on bath salts can shoot up the place and kill you. That's the thing about luck. It doesn't discriminate. It's the great equalizer in all of life. Comedian Bill Burr was on Joe Rogan's podcast shortly after all this shit happened, and he had this to say about the subject while talking about the business of Hollywood. Quote, People will fuck you. It's all about money. They don't give a fuck. End quote. My dad alluded to the same thing in my intro. Along with that message, he sent a similar one beforehand. In his words, quote, Lots of people want to point to others as the reason they don't or can't succeed. It's crap. Do some people work to have to work harder? Yes, they do, and that includes you and I. We were not born with a silver spoon in our hands. Life is not fair. Never has been. Look at our history. Never will be. That is fantasy. In the end, go after what you want in life and what makes you happy. You can only control you and you get one vote. The rest is just noise. End quote. And then my dad dropped the mic along with a hot plate of knowledge like B-Rabbit 8 Mile went about his business. But wait a minute, Sam, you say. Your dad also said that there was privilege in the world. What do you have to say to that? And good question, because that's next. So, now we've come to the crossroads. We need to discover what real privilege is versus what isn't. We already know based on the information that we've compiled about preconceived privilege that it doesn't exist. So naturally, we should pay attention to the things that are not preconceived. Anything that is not preconceived, anything that isn't baked into the cake of the person you are from birth, has to be acquired. And that, in my opinion, is a good place to start. So remember the definition. The phrase, quote, especially such as a right or immunity attached to a specific position or office, quote, is the key here. Privilege stems from the acquisition of climbing the ladder of any field, of ascending, to put it in my words. But I still think that that's not totally fair. I don't think it's tip just to typecast anyone who aspires towards accomplishing things in life as privileged. Remember, that was the second point of the first section. We all pursue some sort of privilege. It is human nature. But now we're left with another conundrum. We need to be able to discern the good from the bad. I didn't know how to do that until I remembered something taught to me by my good friend Kendrick Lamar. Well, okay, we're not friends, but maybe we'll, we'll get there one day. My favorite album of all time, the, the, the Feote, I guess if we're going to use the goat for the favorite album of all time, is Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. It's so excellent, it's almost indescribable. It's a near flawless piece of art. I only listen to it a couple times a year, so I don't dilute it with excess. 
What I appreciated so much about the project is that it wasn't a typical rap album. It was so individually personal. Lamar basically threw funk, jazz, spoken word, and rap together, mixed with, in with a deep bunch of topics such as economic inequality, personal mental health issues, political commentary, and race relations, and somehow made it accessible to everyone. Every song was an absolute banger. Every song made you think. Every song made you look inside yourself for something deeper. It was my first big eye-opener to the bigger picture of society and meeting people where they are in terms of deeper issues that face Americans. It's nothing sort of a miracle that he was able to take an album with that much abstract depth and make it into something as beautiful as it was. The part I want to reference comes from the last track of the album, Mortal Man. The 12-minute song acts as the climax of the album and wraps up a poem of spoken word that was built throughout the project. Additionally, Lamar splices up a former interview with his idol and rap legend Tupac Shakur and frames it in the form of a, co a conversation and drive his point home. The poem opens, quote, I remember you as conflicted, misusing your influence. Sometimes I did the same, abusing my power, full of resentment. End quote. That right there is the key. Kendrick Lamar has a gigantic voice. He has immense influence and power. But what I call Kendrick Lamar privileged? An argument could be made because of his influence, power, and wealth, sure. But I still don't think that's very fair. Why? Because Lamar doesn't abuse that power, wealth, and privilege. He says it right there in the poem. He's worked tremendously hard to make it out of the notorious rough neighborhood of Compton, California, and make it as one of the greatest artists of the 21st century. Then it hit me. Privilege is neither a good or a bad thing. It's simply a tool, and it's all about how you use it. So let's rattle off some more examples. Go back to LeBron James, let's say. His three children will grow up an incredible life of lavish and wealth. Does that make them privileged? If we're taking Lamar's stance, I would say no. Because LeBron James overall, no matter what you think of his politics or anything else, is a good man. Savannah James, his wife, is an excellent human being. From what I can tell, they teach their kid good values, how to work hard, and how to respect people. Their kids may have wealth, but they aren't privileged. They can and will still experience failure. They don't have rights or immunities because they're children of LeBron and Savannah James. Earlier this week, NFL Hall of Famer and icon Deion Primetime Sanders' son, Shadur, worked out with Tom Brady, a.k.a. the GOAT, on a field in Tampa. And this was back in June of 2020, so I said it earlier this week. Could you call Dion and Shadur a pr privilege for having the ability to work out with Tom Brady? You could if you're a cynic. But Dion Sanders worked hard to get himself in that position and uses his position to help others. If his son, who probably also works hard and wants to help others, wants to work out with Tom Brady, that doesn't make him privileged at all. He's not abusing his dad's power or his own. He's simply acting on it to pay it forward to help himself and others out. The privilege behavior that everyone talks about simply comes from when you abuse your power, influence, and wealth. That can certainly get you rights or immunities attached to a specific position or office. It doesn't mean you can't repent, but it does matter what our leaders and ruling class do with that influence, power, and wealth. It needs to be done correctly. Otherwise, you need new leadership. So before I say this first example, this is going to get, uh, this is probably very, very outdated, particularly since uh, Don Lemon took his under cheese and basically shoved it in the guy's nostrils, but let's go with it for now. I still think it's a good example in that context, but... I think Don Lemon is a privileged cock as well, so let's just kind of keep doing this for now. So a great compare and contrast example is the CNN, the formerly, according to, the, according to this week since he got fired yesterday, duo of Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon. Chris Cuomo was born into influence, power, and wealth, his father Mario being the governor of New York. He went to a prep high school, followed by Yale, followed by Fordham. 
He was then grandfathered into the media due to his political connections and essentially blabbers about other people's, quote, privilege every night on CNN except for when he got fired for helping his brother, which is another question for another day. He accosted a motorcyclist as a, quote, jackass, loser, fat, tired biker for not social distancing while he had a large amount of his family over for Easter. Don Lemon was born into nothing in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He attended Louisiana State and Brooklyn University and worked his way up in the media ladder. He actually complimented Sean Hannity on national television after Hannity reached out to him to offer his condolences on the death of Lemon's sister. Now, you may not agree with the ideas of Chris Cuomo or Don Lemon, particularly Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon after they have both committed sexual abuse, apparently. But you can at least respect the differences in the way they conduct themselves, at least most of the time. Chris Cuomo seems like an entitled daddy's money cock. Don Lemon seems opposite of that, at least in the public life, in his private life, apparently not so much. It's not in the influence, power, and wealth. It's in the abuse of that influence, power, and wealth. Chris Cuomo abuses the power he has. Don Lemon doesn't. Again, most of the time, again, this is this sounding so fucked up. Most of society's ruling class, unfortunately, is like both of them. I think it would be wise to look at more, more examples of the abuse of acquired influence, power, and wealth to prove this point further. To reiterate, no one is privileged because by someone they cannot control. No one is privileged because they acquire influence, power, and wealth. People are privileged when they abuse that influence, power, and wealth. They think they have rights and immunities when they really don't. Two great examples of the abuse of influence come from the two, most famous, two of the most famous athletes of the 20th century, Magic Johnson and Ric Flair. Johnson is widely considered a top five professional basketball player to ever walk the planet, and Ric Flair is considered to be the, perhaps the greatest professional wrestler ever. These men both had tremendous influence. At the peak of their powers, they were among the most notable men in America. I genuinely like them both. But that didn't stop them from abusing their influence. These men were both in committed relationships, but they still used that influence to flirt with and fuck women like rabbits. Magic Johnson claimed that he slept with over a thousand women, but it said that it could be an understatement. He lost count. Ric Flair claimed in his 30 for 30 days that he slept with 10,000. These numbers came mostly when they were in, quote, committed relationships with other women. They were tremendously unfaithful to their wives, but they could get away with it because they were Magic Johnson and Ric Flair. They abused their influence. But the thing is, Magic Johnson le learned early and hard that he couldn't keep up with this behavior. He was diagnosed with AIDS in 1991 at the time where everyone else was scared shitless. He stopped, settled down with his wife Cookie, and now is an incredibly positive public figure. Ric Flair didn't do that. He kept up with his ways, shamelessly whoring himself out to women and wrestling until he was a sad shell of himself. Abusive influence can be cured, but one must be self-aware first. Two good examples of exploitation of power are Derek Chauvin and Richard Nixon. Derek Chauvin was the man who murdered George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was a police officer, a man that should be a leader and pillar of example in the community. Instead, he used it to bully people. At the time of the George Floyd murder, he had 18 violations on his record, many of them being related to violence. He exploited his powers to stroke his own ego, and it ended up doing irreparable damage to a lot of people. I never really understood what the fuck happened with Nixon. All I heard from years was the word Watergate and a bunch of untethered, untethered outrage. It was strange. But I did my best and tried to look into it. And the truth is I really still, know, still don't know what the hell went down. I really don't care. Basically, he tried to cover up the Watergate scandal after he allowed spies to come in and steal information from the Democratic National Committee, bugged offices, and then fired people who were onto him in the, quote, Saturday Night Massacre. Or something like that. Chauvin is now probably the most hated man in America. Or was at the time. 
Nixon was so disgraced by the public that he resigned before he got the opportunity to become the second president to be formally impeached by both houses of Congress, all because these two men got drunk on their ego and hubris. They abused their innate power that came with their positions, and it wreaked havoc on others for years. I didn't know what the worst would come last, but it did. For abuse of exploitation of wealth, the most heinous examples I could think of would be De example I could think of would be Jeffrey Epstein. And at the time, I just recently watched the Netflix documentary docu series Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. I can safely tell you that it's some of the most disturbing shit I've ever seen. His partner, Jelaine Maxwell, is on trial right now. The dude was a pretty fucking horrible person. One of the worst, I'd say. But for the long time, that didn't matter. And the reason was his wealth. I'm still not entirely sure I pulled this off, but he ended up becoming a partner at the now-defunct Bear Stearns, weaseling his way into the good graces of retail magnate Les Wexner, and then dramatically expanded his network into the lives of other famous socialites. Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey, Spacey were among his associates. He soon became a billionaire, buying a fleet of jets and a private island, among other things. Maybe he was compensating for his egg-shaped penis, I don't know. Epstein then proceeded to use that wealth to create a sex trafficking ring and buy several get-out-of-jail-free cards before he was brought down by several accusers and sent to prison in 2019. He was later found dead in a cell. Jeffrey Epstein abused his wealth in just about the worst way possible. His story should be a lesson for us all. But wealth, on its face, is not necessarily bad. Take Miles Garrett, for example. Helmet-bashing incident aside, Garrett is probably the best thing to happen to Cleveland sports in some time. He is probably the best. He uses a lot of his wealth to help an organization called Waterboys, which he currently runs. He, along with several other humanitarians and NFL players, traveled to Africa to build water wells to help with the tremendous poverty that exists on the continent. That's a great use of wealth. The abuse and exploitation of acquired influence, power, and wealth is not the problem. Privilege is not a gender or a skin color. Privilege is not influence, power, or wealth. Privilege is acquiring these things and deciding that your own selfish interests are more important. That those things give you the rights and immunities to tell you that you can play by different rules. Oh, and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, by the way. So, we've discovered through our analysis that there is privilege in the world. It does not come from anything we can control, such as our skin color. It does not come from acquiring things through our own hard work and merit. Privilege simply comes from the abuse of our influence, power, and wealth that we obtain from that hard work and merit. It's an abuse of your status, and it's wrong. The question remains, how can we apply it? We live in an incredibly fragile and volatile climate. Tensions are incredibly high, perhaps the highest they've been since I've been alive. They need to be diffused. We need to stop assuming and tearing each other apart with senseless nonsense that doesn't matter. I think that a great place to start would be to ask better questions. Questions are great, but don't let your kindergarten teacher and parent fool you. There are such things as stupid questions. Some questions are so ridiculous that it's harder to comprehend why that person would ask a question like that versus how to come up with an answer for that question. There are ways we can attack this constructively. We know from our research that the three abuses of privilege are of influence, power, and wealth. So my suggestion is that, instead of assuming things about people just because they made a comment or did an action, except if it's an especially heinous order, we instead detach emotionally and ask a better question to get the, to the root of the problem. 
In doing this, we create the one thing that isn't created by mindless consumption of the assumed privilege, constructive dialogue. You start a conversation and open the person up to discussing their viewpoints. You give you and the other party an opportunity to work together to compromise and develop a solution to the problem. People cannot and should not be demonized forever in most cases. Just because they send out a tweet that has a different opinion than yours does not mean that they get to cast stones from their ivory of virtue and shame them. Dave Chappelle performed two whole-ass comedy specials about this, and we should listen to him. He's a smart guy. I'll lay out three hypothetical scenarios. For the sake of the current times we're in, let's just say we're taking on the perspective of a young African-American guy in his 20s. He's got a full-time working 9-to-5, but he's compelled to take action in the wake of the George Floyd murder. He wants to mobilize to take a bigger role in elevating the conversation. Let's start with a person with influence. The young man could look at this person and say something like, This person who knows all of these people won't help me. She's too high up to give a shit about people like me. She doesn't know what I've been through. Privilege. He could say that. But I don't think it would get him very far if he assumes it insults. Instead, what if he were to say something like this? Hey ma'am, I know you're connected to a lot of people. Would you be interested to meet up with me and discuss some issues that I think you'd be a good fit for? There's a lot going on right now, and it's affecting a lot of people. I think you'd be a great asset to our team. You can bet which one will evoke a better response from the woman he's on the other side of. Yet notice how he doesn't lose the urgency of the situation. There's a lot going on right now, and it's affecting a lot of people. This young man still wants stuff to happen. The woman he's asking has something that she needs and wants. Influence. People who are influencers are so important in today's society. No, I'm not talking about bang energy and co-watches. I'm talking about people who really move shit. People, money, etc. To use a Colin Cowherd, non-divorce related analogy, they're human LinkedIn's. To quote a logical lyric, on the ultimate connect, I get you everything you need from good credit to good weed. These people are the gatekeepers, like Heimdall or Elba in the Marvel movies. They hold the keys to so much knowledge and power. And that's where we should go next. Next, logically, comes a position in power. Let's take the same guy who wants to make a difference in the poorest George Floyd world, for example. After he's talked to the woman of influence, he decides to take his pursuits to a man who has considerable power, say a man in local politics who does legislation related to social issues. The young man could look at this person and say something like, this dude is on a pedestal isn't going to do shit for me. He's too busy looking out for himself and his own interests. He probably uses that influence to make sure he doesn't have to pay parking tickets. Privilege. He could say that. But this man of power could be a good guy. He probably doesn't embezzle public funds to pay for his parking tickets. Instead, what if he were to say something like this? Hey man, you have this big important position. Would you mind listening to what I have to say to see if you or anyone else you know would be interested in helping me move on and promote this? It's very important to me. A lot of folks are hurting right now. Just give me 10 minutes of your time. I promise you I won't waste it. Again, one will most definitely get a better response than the other. Also, again, notice how he doesn't lose his urgency. He simply has that urgency under control. He doesn't let outrage overwhelm him. He speaks with a constructive passion. He invites the man to have a conversation with him while still pushing the envelope on an issue that deserves attention. I know, all this coming from a guy who constantly shits over all society's ruling class. I understand that. What I would suggest for this guy or anyone else in his position is to do your homework before picking out a person to reach out to. It doesn't have to be someone working for the government. Hell, I would prefer if it was someone who wasn't working for the government. But there are good people out there, some people who haven't been corrupted by ruling class hypocrisy. Search for them. Get their help. They'll want to give it. Lastly, what if the person is a person with tremendous wealth? Money can't buy happiness, but it can sure make a pretty big difference in a lot of areas. Don't let anyone tell you it isn't important. Should it be the most important thing? I would argue not. 
but it isn't is it important you better ask your ass it is let's say that this person is a retired entrepreneur who recently exited his business he cashed out a significant amount of money and is looking to deploy some capital the young man who wants to make a difference in the world could say something like this you're just some old dude who capitalized on the backs of working class people and sold them out. I don't need your help. You probably spit on factory workers as you walk by them. Privilege. He could say that. But this old and retired entrepreneur could be just that. An old and retired entrepreneur. He might have treated his workers quite nicely. I doubt he spit on them. Instead, what if the young man said something like this? Hey, sir, I have a community organization looking to make a difference regarding the events that have been going on in our country this past week. Would you consider donating or investing in this? With your knowledge and money... I think it would make a great, you would make a great joy in knowing that you could help make a significant impact in a cause that's important to me in America. You will definitely get a better response to the second option rather than the first. You will definitely have a greater chance of starting a conversation and making change and making progress at keeping this passionate yet controlled urgency at the forefront. There will always be people that say no. And you know what? That's fine. They have a right to use their resources however they choose. In the words of Mark Manson, if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. And that's okay. Just don't assume anything. Especially privilege. That gets you nowhere. And just makes an ass out of you and me. There's a diner in Elyria, Ohio called Hazel's. It's right off of Cleveland Street, right past the bypass in the Roll Arena. You can't miss it. You should go sometime. You can get a couple eggs, a breakfast potato of your choice, and a breakfast meat of your choice for around four bucks. Probably a decent cup of coffee for a dollar at most. It's a great deal. A lot of people go to this place. My dad used to go every Friday at 5 in the morning to meet his high school football buddy there for an early breakfast in the early days of his career. It's usually lower class working folks, construction workers, laborers, truck drivers, that sort of people. They're good people. Nice people. They work damn hard to make ends meet. They come from a wide variety of ethnic backgrounds. Now, if someone had the balls, hint two things that 99% of society's ruling class do not have, to call one of these people privileged, one of two things would happen. The first would be that they would laugh you out of the bar. The second, and the most likely option, is you would probably get socked in the face on the spot. Regardless of anything that's preconceived, it would be asinine to call it that way to anyone in that diner. And the reason is that privilege doesn't discriminate. It's just as racist to call someone privileged on the basis of their skin color as it is to call them dumb or unskilled. It's simply an uneducated claim to make. There needs to be more clarity and nuance than that. Let's be better to one another. Let's stop assuming. Let's have conversations. Let's create a sense of community. Let's refine our values. Privilege is real. It exists. But it's not contingent on anything preconceived or earned. People either can't change it or worked hard to get it in most cases. Abuse of that earned clout needs to be called out. That is where privilege exists. That's the real enemy we have to fight. Most people aren't privileged. Most people don't abuse their power, especially the non-ruling class. Let's take the fight to them. Be better to one another, and treat people with more decency and kindness. Except for Don Lemon, Chris Cuomo, Jesse Smollett, and Lori Laughlin. They can go fuck themselves. So, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. So that was actually, that was refreshing. So I, 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 liked, I liked that one. So, again, think about these things, guys. Think about before you call somebody a, a mean name or whatever. And think about yourself too, because I mean, I think it really can help when people actually do things that are constructive versus things that are just kind of doing things to make people feel better or whatever. So have a good weekend, guys. See you next week. Open the day. Oh, open the day. Own, own your mind. Own your mind. Open your mind. Own the day. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it.
stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight? <laughs>